Carlsbad, People, Purpose, and Impact, an essential podcast for those who live, work, visit, and play in Carlsbad. Good afternoon and welcome, everyone. My name is Brett Schonsenbach. I'm the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber of Commerce, and I'm your host today. And I'm excited to have with me John Van Cleef. John is the CEO of the Community Resource Center. Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Brett. Good to see you here today. Good to see you you as well. Good to have you. We're going to start off with letting our audience know that you guys were honored very recently at our CBAD Award Luncheon as our non Profit of the Year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, it was a great honor. And uh, considering the other nominees present, we, you know, yeah. Girl Scouts, um, Solutions for Change, yeah. uh, just really honored to be identified among those peers. As, yeah. Yeah. So no, thank you. You guys are very deserving, as you point out, as are all these great organizations, but very cool that you guys won. And But before we go into Community Resource Center, I'd love to kind of get, talk about some of your background, which Mm -hmm. has been uh, interesting. So it looks like you started uh, in the Army. Yeah, I, uh, when I graduated high school, I was probably like a lot of young people, like looking for some aim. And uh, in the year after high school, I had five jobs. Oh, wow. Uh, And I just, (laughs) I was bouncing and feeling aimless and... um, one day it just hit me that uh, seeking some structure in my life and finding a, a course was going to be good for me. So I enlisted in the U.S. Army, uh, spent uh, four years uh, in service as a military policeman. Wow. Yeah. So other than my training, my entire tour was in the country of Panama. Oh, wow. And so I extended my there twice. And so I was in Panama for pretty much three of those four years, and it was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then um, since, you know, leaving the Army, and thanks for your service, by the way, you've been in quite a few nonprofits, mm-hmm. um, it looks like, uh, Salvation Army, YMCA, Palomar Health. Uh, talk to us a, a little bit about your experience before uh, you came here to the Community Resource Center. When I was uh, a child, and it goes back to my parents' home and my grandparents' home, uh, those families were all involved with the Salvation Army. So when people ask how I ended up working in the nonprofit sector, I often say, well, I was born into it. Yeah. Uh, grew up in a home where um, faith and action and demonstration of concern for people who need help is just the way you live. Oh, that's great. And uh, so I, I grew up with that. And, and as I matured through my 20s, I, I realized that that was where I fit in terms of my vocation and, and where I spend my work hours. And so that, uh, because mm-hmm. I grew up in the Salvation Army context, that was the most natural place uh, for me to pursue. And as time went along, I saw a bigger world and different opportunities to, to make an impact. So I made a transition from that setting, worked at the YMCA for a year, Palomar Health for almost five years, and and have been with Community Resource Center since 2018. Yeah, you and I were talking recently about our paths are kind of, our timelines, I should say, are kind of similar. You came to Community Resource Center in what month was it? September. September of 18, and I came to the Carlsbad Chamber in January of 19. So just a couple months apart, we're parallel, paralleling yeah. each other there, yeah. <laughs> which is great. So you came to the Community Resource Center, and tell us, 
some of the amazing things that the Community Resource Center does because it's diverse and it's uh, you know it's not just multi, it's it's multifaceted, not just single purpose. Yeah. The Community Resource Center was started uh, in Encinitas in 1979, and really a community-born nonprofit and expression of compassion uh, for neighbors and the capacity to help our neighbors. Um, and it was the faith community, service clubs, uh, like Rotary. Yeah. Uh, it was business communities, you know, civic leadership, all wanting to make sure that there was a meaningful expression uh, of compassion to help community members in need. And since its uh, inception in 1979, which really started to focus on food security and helping feed mm. people hungry, we've grown to addressing uh, housing insecurity and homelessness, mm -hmm. as well as domestic violence intervention and prevention. And then one of the important pieces of CRC's evolution is that though it was started in Encinitas, it is a coastal, North Coastal Community Service Agency. Uh, and we have uh, for, forever helped people from all of our communities. Encinitas, Carlsbad, and Oceanside are the largest communities where most of the people we serve live. And so from its start to today, we now have offices in Encinitas, uh, officing in a satellite office in Carlsbad and a satellite office at One Safe Place in San Marcos, the new Family Justice Center, as well as our three thrift stores. Yeah, your three. Thr I was just thinking about your thrift stores because actually I didn't know there were three of them. So you have one of your thrift stores right down in the village mm -hmm. in Carlsbad, and where are the other two? One in Encinitas, okay. uh, next to Sprouts on El Camino and uh, Encinitas Boulevard, and then one in San Marcos on Rancho Santa Fe just really right up the street from the high school. Okay. Yeah. So you got three of those. And of course, those present very tangible ways people can um, support you, right? Bringing stuff that's been gently used that they no longer need to donate and then uh, shopping as well, right? Yeah. Well, and that's part of a sustainability, right? Yeah. A curve instead of putting stuff in the landfill that can be worn, used again, giving it an opportunity for resale. And the proceeds of those programs uh, benefit CRC's, the proceeds of those sales benefit CRC's programs. And then we also have the capacity when we have clients who are in need of clothing or household items, or when we're helping somebody move in, we use the donations in our resale stores to help people get clothes, to help people uh, put dishes in their house. And so it's a great resource to be able to feed back into the program as well. That's great. So it's not just that you're reselling it. Sometimes you're literally repurposing it directly to your clients. Yes, it is. It is 15% of our annual budget. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. We're going to take a quick pause. I'm talking with John Van Cleef, the CEO of the Community Resource Center. And we come back, we're going to talk about um, the volume of impact that these guys have, which is tremendous. So stay with us. We'll be right back. So, John, we were just talking about your thrift stores right before the break, and you mentioned like the different um, areas that you focus on. You started with food insecurity, but now in homelessness and domestic violence. I was on your website and looking at some stats, and you guys do a lot. Um, <laughs> hunger last year, 612,000 pounds of food. Yes. 
Yeah. That's a lot. How do, how does that work? How do you distribute? How do people come to you if they feel like they might qualify or have needs? How does it all work on the food side? Uh, baseline, if somebody comes into our doors and says they're hungry and need food, we take care of it. Uh, and uh, if we need to do additional qualification and exploration after that, we will. So we have a food pantry and we partner with Feeding San Diego and San Diego Food Bank as a part of the Fresh Rescue Program. Nice. So uh, items in stores that have reached their sell-by date but haven't expired in terms of being edible good food right. will pick up from 18 neighborhood uh, stores. Oh, that's great. And uh, so we'll use that food to give to people who are hungry. And then we uh, have local organizations we had Stamp Out Hunger just a couple weekends ago with the post office. We have Boy Scout troops, Girl Scout troops, neighborhood cul-de-sacs, uh, schools who will do food drives throughout the year to really help with our uh, non-perishable foods. And then if we ever get into a pinch, we connect with our partners at uh, Feeding San Diego or San Diego Food Bank, and we'll, we'll buy what we need to make sure the shelves are stocked. The pantry model we have is really a client choice, so dignity of choice. So if somebody's coming in to shop and fill their grocery basket, uh, they get to choose what goes in that grocery basket. Oh, wow. And uh, and then for uh, some of our clients who are unsheltered, we have food that's specifically identified as ready to eat so they don't have to take, you know, nothing take to prepare it, so... Yeah. Got it. Oh, that's very interesting. Um, I like the program you were mentioning about going to the various grocery stores and getting the stuff that's past the sell-by date, but is still good because pretty much all of it is. Um, I know those those dates are phenomenally overly cautious because of liability on the food manufacturers. How often are you like? Do you have like? How does it work? Do you have a, a truck that goes around like every day or something? Or we we do. We have a refrigerated truck that goes around every day. Wow! Uh, and uh, we pretty much spend the morning doing the pickups, uh, and then when we come back to the food and nutrition center, we stock it into the the different cupboards. We've got a freezer on site, a walk-in refrigerator, and then a whole sorting area for vegetables and fruits. And so it's, it's a daily a routine uh, and a great tribute to our community of volunteers. Our, our food and nutrition center, other than the program manager and the driver, volunteer run. Wow. Uh, we have uh, 10 shifts, uh, 10 shift leads, uh, and groups of people from individuals, faith communities, service clubs, all sorts of people come in, and they make that food pantry work. Uh, and then we That's also amazing. have a dry food pantry at our office in Carlsbad. And then we operate the dry food pantry at One Safe Place as well. We don't have refrigeration there yet. And so sure. we'll get there. Sure. Yeah. Oh, that's that's fantastic. That's a lot of food. So I'm assuming you guys, like a lot of the other providers, saw an uptick during the COVID time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we uh, – the – the visits per hour uh, during COVID just skyrocketed. So we were at about 10, 10 family or household units per hour uh, prior to COVID. And during COVID, we were up to like 15. Oh, wow. And so uh, the number of people coming for service. 
What we're seeing right now is there were in 2021, there are a lot of programs that were established to help with hunger and yep. food security. Some of that benefit has gone away. So uh, in 2023, we're certainly seeing uh, an increase over last year, but we're also seeing a pretty significant increase over 2019. Okay. So if you take away those anomaly years, yeah. uh, what's happening with you know, low to middle income seniors, uh, working families who are at, you know, above or around, you know, minimum wage. Inflation is just crushing people. Mm -hmm. And so providing that extra economic relief through the food pantry has been a, a going concern. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. So that's the food insecurity side, which is ever dynamic and needs are growing. And then I saw again on your uh, on your website on the homeless arena, um, three hundred and thirty three people put into safe housing last year. Yeah, that's significant. How does that program work? Our services for homelessness we really look at it in in two uh, dimensions: homelessness prevention and homelessness intervention. Ah, okay. And so for our prevention work, it's. Uh, being able to engage with people who are at a crisis point uh, and are looking at the possibility of becoming unhoused and unsheltered. And so we have interventions and funding that helps us keep people housed uh, because the slide that happens when somebody you know, becomes homeless into so many different issues is so great, as well as you know, the economic multiplier of trying to get out of debt and yeah. out of trouble once that happens. And so one great focus is keeping people housed. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the other is when we have, you know, somebody who is unsheltered, homeless, uh, perhaps living in their car, couch surfing uh, yeah. from home to home, uh, people who are living outside, then working with them uh, and their story to make sure that they have the resources, they've identified the path, they're, you know, people ultimately are responsible for their choices. Sure. Right. And so helping them and supporting them in outlining a path and then helping them be accountable to get there. Uh, and uh, those interventions are so many. Uh, there's homelessness court, there's, you know, some debt management and resolution, mm -hmm. uh, so many different facets yeah. of someone's journey. And some journeys are more complex than others. Yeah, and so some journeys take a little bit longer yeah. uh, to get to that point. But uh, so a variety of interventions to help somebody stay housed. Yeah. And then in both cases, we have uh, you know staff who are case managers who work directly with our clients. Not only do they keep in touch with them while we're getting them housed and providing the assistant, we keep in touch with them afterward yeah. so that we have appropriate follow-up, check in to see how they're doing, if there's anything going on, a crisis that's come up, uh, concerns they're having, even some emotional stress uh, can trigger people, right? And so helping uh, once they're housed to keep that follow-up and help them on their path so they are stable and self-sufficient. That's great. I, a couple of things that you said were, you know, piqued my interest of the complexity, you know, of what you're dealing with with those who are homeless. But um how do you identify those people, like you, the preventative stuff that you're talking about? Like, how do you identify those that are in danger of becoming homeless and, and need help here or there? Like, how does that all come together? Um, 
I can really speak specifically, like in the city of Carlsbad, yeah. uh, we have uh, some uh, funding from the city of Carlsbad directly, as well as funding through HUD, through the mm -hmm. community development yep. block grants. And so through the housing department, people will be referred to us. Okay. People will reach out to us directly uh, and express concern and need for support. Um, we're part of the 211 information network, so people will be referred to us. So we use whatever means possible. Uh, one of the things we've done recently is we redesigned and relaunched our website, and the design was really intentional about making sure it has strong client-facing information so that if somebody is Googling rent assistance in you know, Carlsbad, that uh, if they find CRC's website, they can find clear information for them that they don't have to navigate around a bunch of other information. Yeah. yeah. Don't have to go 20 layers deep to get the yeah. actual useful stuff. Let's make it clickable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. The third area that you guys focus on is uh, domestic violence. And I remember you and I having a conversation uh, a couple of years ago about um, the COVID effect in this arena and it, and it wasn't good. Mm -mm. No, it wasn't. Um, there was an article, I think it was in the New York Post, and the author of the article identified it as the shadow pandemic. Mm. Uh, internationally, the incidents and reported incidents of domestic violence increased dramatically. Mm. Uh, from 2018 through last year, calls to our domestic violence hotline increased by 111%. Wow. Uh, during COVID, there was a 28% spike year over year. Wow. So the, the situation was you put people in a house where there's abusive behavior, you, you know, reduce and eliminate outside contact, you add in economic stressors, mm -hmm. you add in social isolation, and uh, people who, you know, who are abusers, you know, all of these triggers are around them. Yeah. And, and, it, and it explodes. And then people who are uh, suffering from the abuse, you know, of course, uh, yeah. were impacted by that. If there's any kind of silver lining uh, to take out of that, one thing I see is that uh, people are, seems like they're more likely to say, this isn't okay, mm -hmm. I need help. Interesting. And so, um, I, I, like, if there's any, yeah, uh, that yeah. people are willing to call out and, and say, I need help getting out of this situation. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's quite a toxic mix that you were describing oh. there for that dynamic. Um, and hopefully, it doesn't sound like the statistics have eased a lot yet, though. No. Hopefully, they'll no. start going in the other direction. Yeah, what we're really pleased to be part of One Safe Place, the Family mm -hmm. Justice Center uh, that's been opened in San Marcos. The district attorney's office was very intentional about placing that in North County because of it was statistically verified that this was the place to do it. Wow. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure that's a good thing. <laughs> no, no. Well, and, and so the intention around making that happen created a place for people to go. That's and great. so where we've seen an increase, right, there's been a, the timely launch of a community resource, right, uh, that is well supported so that people who are experiencing that kind of violence or hardship, and it's also there for seniors who are experiencing uh. some kind of abuse, that there is a place for them to go that's 
one-stop shopping. That's right? great. Uh, yeah. So that they don't have to drive all over town to get everything yeah. taken care of. And so uh, where the need has increased, uh, the resource to meet the need has also increased. Well, that is great that our, you know, the district attorney's office is using data, right? It's a data-driven decision. It's a little bit disappointing that it's our area that the data is pointing to, but great that the resource is there to help. Speaking of resources, um, I know that uh, it takes a lot of resources to do everything that you do uh, Mm. and to provide the services that you provide. And you have a large, well, you have a team of people. Um, So, Tell us some of the ways that you guys raise money. And then uh, after that, I saw something about a capital campaign. Oh, yeah. So we're we're very blessed with um, the community-based human service work we do to be really a, a product, a child of North Coastal San Diego County. Uh, and so when our... Our revenue uh, and our annual budget is has eclipsed $8 million. Mm. Uh, 45% of that is private donations. Okay. So from grants, from family foundations, from corporations and companies. Uh, so we have this wonderful capacity for giving. Yeah. Uh, right? Everybody knows North Coastal San Diego County is above average. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, and, uh, and so there's the capacity. And then, again, the compassion for giving. People who want to help make sure people's essential needs are met in their neighborhood. Then about 40% of our funding comes from uh, state, county, municipal mm-hmm. sources. And a large portion of that is our domestic violence programs, mm. uh, but also supporting into our the rapid rehousing and you know the homelessness prevention and yep. intervention uh, programs we do. And then, as I mentioned earlier, 15% comes from our resale stores. So having a... Uh, a social impact initiative that we do yeah. to help fund our programs yeah. uh, is an important part of our stewardship of, of the yeah. resources. That's great. I, I love what you said about uh, North San Diego County being a giving you know, community and supportive because that's, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Tell us about your upcoming or maybe already started capital campaign. Yes. Uh, CRC has owned its property on 2nd Street since uh, 1988. And uh, in Encinitas, and it's never really touched the inside of the buildings uh, to really design it to what we're doing there. And uh, in two years ago, our neighbor to the south of us uh, actually approached us and wondered if we were interested in purchasing the parcel. Ah. So our vision from just remodeling within the walls expanded to, oh, mm-hmm. we can have a little bit of uh, creative thinking about what to do with this space next door now. And so uh, we are initiating in a capital campaign to raise $10.52 million uh, to renovate uh, within the walls of our current buildings, uh, and then also to scrape the new parcel we purchased and build to suit a food and nutrition center that will look a little more like a community grocery store than a warehouse uh, that's been thrown together. So some of the great features of this will be all of our program services will be ground floor. So we'll be enhancing client accessibility. We will have important services within our buildings located next to each other. And the the key feature uh, that we talk about with it is dignity. For our staff, uh, our staff don't have a break room. 
Uh, uh, so as they engage with people who are in trauma and they need time to walk away from their desk and debrief and, you know, heal their own heart from a moment, especially yeah. if someone is outbursting in crisis, to have a place where they can go. Yeah. Um, we have we don't have client accessible bathrooms, mm -hmm. and so our staff and our volunteers meet and engage with people with warmth and dignity, but the the layout of the building and design doesn't provide them that same mm -hmm. kind of dignity. And so that's a that's a key feature sure. as, as we look at this is making sure the quality of service we provide is matched with where we provide it. And so um, we're having good success. Uh, we have raised 60% of our goal. All right. Uh, and we've been working with our leadership donors through this point. And hopefully, as we continue to cultivate some of those um, significant gifts, our hope is to be able to move out into a public phase uh, in next year. Okay. That's the plan. That's the plan. You got to have the plan. Yeah. Um, and so if... If the plan all went according to how it's spec'd out right now, when might you start all that process, remodeling, scraping, everything? Yeah. Well, I think everybody knows how wonderful that uh, the permitting and entitlement <laughs> process uh, goes, uh, especially in the coastal region. Yeah. And so um, we've, we have our, our scenario plan that affords the longest possible time for approvals in, in working yeah. through this is uh, starting the construction and remodel in uh, June of 25. June of 25. Yeah. Okay, so, it so two years. sounds forever away. It does. But, uh, but the rea I joke about the processes, but um, our, our local civic leaders, we talk to them, they're aware of it. There's good sense that this is a project for community good. Sure. And while we can't be given any special, you know, passage, uh, we've got support and uh, help navigating through the system and processes so that we can do this as soon as possible. Well, that's good. It's better than the alternative, at oh, least. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. as you pointed out, it can be a long, long road. Well, you're also a, a father to four and a grandfather to one. I know. That's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell us about uh, your wonderful family and all that. Yeah. I think like many parents, uh, I look at each of my children and uh, am thankful that I can look up to them. Yeah. Right? They're all wonderful and uh, beautiful and I, I wonder where they got it from. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, know what you mean. So, yes. <laughs> but my eldest daughter, uh, she is currently in law school in Washington, D.C. Uh, okay. And she's doing her summer internship for first year internship in the Bronx DA's office. Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> impressed. Um, yeah. My oldest son and his wife, uh, my son is in the Navy. Okay. Uh, stationed up in the, uh, Bremerton. And he is, uh, you know, the father of my first grandson. Oh, that's awesome. So, and he's, he's very gracious about knowing he's still important, but knowing, you know, it's really about Carter. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's about yeah. the grandkiddo. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, my two youngest children, uh, live in Texas, uh, 23 year old son who is a home inspector and a 17 year old who is now not a junior, uh, but a senior. Uh, <laughs> and today's her birthday. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I think you'll be having a phone call with her soon yeah. if you haven't already. That's great. Yeah. Well, um, is there anything we missed about CRC that uh, we didn't get a chance to cover? I don't want to, I never like to cut anybody off. You know, I, I think one of the 
features of CRC that as I got to know it when I started uh, and, um, and continued to be impressed by is uh, the professionalism and the, mm. the credentialing of our staff. Our case managers are bachelor level educated in social work. Uh, and so if you think about a hospital setting, right, uh, you think about the nurses and primary care providers and their education. For the social services, you know, these staff have that same quality of education. We have therapists on staff, licensed marriage family therapists, licensed clinical social workers. And so what people may see of CRC as they drive by, uh, it's met with a whole depth uh, the nice. iceberg analogy. Yeah. You may see the tip, but there's so much more underneath the water. And uh, our commitment to providing holistic care to people is, is at the heart. And so that's an important feature is uh, don't just drive by and see, you know, that. Know that there's a whole breadth of capacity underneath that. Because when we help somebody, we want to help them for good. And we want them to know that they're not alone. Uh, and we're here to help them along the way because we all need help along the way. Yeah, boy, isn't that the truth. Yeah. And your guys' website, if somebody wanted to go and learn a little bit more, is crcncc.org. Is that right? Uh, North Coastal County, crcncc.org. crcncc.org. Mm -hmm. There you go, folks. Um, go check it out. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share all the great work you guys do. Thank you for your outreach and, and making this community a, a better place. Thank you, Brett. And really uh, honored to be not just serving these North Coast communities, but serving in the city of Carlsbad. For sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on our Carlsbad People, Purpose and Impact podcast today. If you enjoyed it, please hit the follow button on wherever you get your audio. And please tell a friend. We would love to hear your feedback, which you can share at carlsbadpodcast.com. You can leave us a review, ask a question, or leave an audio comment, which we can play on the show in the future. And that's all we have for today. Can't wait to see you next time on Carlsbad People, Purpose, and Impact. And remember, share some kindness today. It's free creates goodwill and makes you feel great.